0: Just a content note on this episode it does detail experiences of disordered eating and may be triggering for some listeners. 2016, the world celebrated the trashing of Taylor Swift's reputation. Then, one night in August 2017, the pop star wiped her social media accounts clean. A total blank slate. Why? It was time for her reinvention. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Part three, let's go. Part three, Zara McDonald, let's do it. We need to recap what we covered in episode two. And let us say, if you're trying to jump ahead and just listen
1: to episode three, no, 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 you have to go back because we have discussed a lot. So much already. Last episode focused pretty heavily on Taylor's 2016, to be honest. In that year, we really saw Taylor's reputation take an absolute beating niche. I mean, first and foremost, she called out Kanye West for writing about her in his song Famous. She went through that very public breakup with Calvin Harris. Mm. She started dating Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> then it came out that Taylor had co-written Calvin's smash song, This Is What You Came For. And somehow there was even more drama about that.
0: Yeah, I forgot about this but Calvin snapped and made some pretty snarky tweets suggesting that Taylor had leaked a story about her being behind those lyrics. He suggested that she was trying to bury him like she had done to Katy The Taylor Swift is over hashtag started trending on Twitter. And then
1: for the final blow, we had one Kim Kardashian West enter the chat. Exactly. As we all remember, Kim Kardashian delivered that final blow when she released an edited version of a taped phone call between Kanye West and Taylor Swift, during which Kanye told her about his new song, Famous. He was never heard or seen telling her about the line, I made that bitch famous. But what that phone call did show is that she knew the song was being released and that she knew she was going to be mentioned. Mm. Around September 2016, reports emerged that Taylor Swift and Tom Hiddleston had quietly broken up, and that's kind of where we left last episode. It is. Guys, we're going to have to rewind back to November 2016. (laughs) So somehow we find ourselves still in 2016 because again, it is the year where Taylor was dogged by many different things. Before we can leave 2016 in the past, we do need to talk about one more huge thing that caused damage to Taylor Swift's reputation, which was her silence around the US presidential election. I'm sure so many of our listeners will remember how tense That time was leading into the election between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. There was just a lot of stress in the air. I think Mm. a lot of worry and tensions were high.
0: Yeah, I think as well, once Donald Trump did win that election a lot of angry and upset people, justifiably angry and upset people, turned to celebrities and did want to point the finger and went, you didn't help our cause, you didn't stand up for Hillary Clinton, you were part of the problem. So when Trump won, everything went from bad to worse. Taylor had posted a photo saying she was going to go vote and encouraged others to do the same, but she didn't endorse a particular candidate, which by 2016... Was a little bit outdated. By 2016, we wanted celebrities to be
1: political and to tell us what they stood for. Exactly. I mean, no one can possibly blame Taylor Swift for Donald Trump winning the election. But I do think people tried, Mish. Now, the reason her silence was taken so seriously is because for years, the fact that she hadn't weighed in on politics had been interpreted by some members of the alt-right as evidence that she was secretly a member of the alt-right. Now, a bit more context on this one, because this narrative had been going on for a little while. By May 2016, a few months before the election, a neo-Nazi website called the Daily Stormer Had published 24 articles about Taylor, which included a conspiracy theory that she was a covert Nazi herself. In one post. The author wrote, Taylor Swift is a pure Aryan goddess, like something out of classical Greek poetry. It is also an established fact that Taylor Swift is secretly a Nazi and is simply waiting for a time when Donald Trump makes it safe for her to come out and announce her Aryan agenda to the world. Probably she will be betrothed to Trump's son and they will be crowned American royalty. Mm, It's unclear
0: exactly when these blog posts and Nazi memes around Taylor Began, we do know they were garnering a heap of momentum by 2016. And this isn't to say that this was a widely held belief. This was, of course, in very niche, very unusual corners of the internet. But the fact that the conspiracy theory was becoming more widely known and Taylor didn't come out to denounce it lended itself to the idea that maybe
1: she was somehow, in some way, a member of the alt-right. Yeah, crazy stuff. And as you say, it didn't help that she'd never really spoken about politics before, perhaps except for a 2009 interview, which was seven years earlier, with Rolling Stone, which was the year after Obama had been elected. She told the magazine at the time, I've never seen this country so happy about a political decision in my entire time of being alive. I'm so glad this was my first election. She also She also told Time magazine in 2012 that she didn't talk about politics because, and I quote, it might influence other people. And I don't think I know enough yet in life to be telling people who to vote for. Mm, She later told The Guardian
0: that in addition to feeling uneducated, she also felt conflicted talking about politics, fearing that it might cost her her career. She had been taught by people in the industry, particularly in the country music industry, that it's not a musician or a singer's place to talk about politics. For example, and she raised this in a Netflix documentary that she would do a couple of years later, the chicks were continually held up as the prime example of what could happen to you if you did become political.
1: Exactly. And if you don't know what happened to the Dixie Chicks, now actually referred to and known as the Chicks, in 2003, they denounced the Iraq War and said they were ashamed to share the home state of Texas with then-president George W. Bush. This led to a huge, huge boycott of their music. Taylor told The Guardian about this, I watched country music snuff that candle out. The most amazing group we had just because they talked about politics and they were getting death threats. They were made such an example that basically every country artist that came after that, every label tells you, just do not get involved no matter what. Mm. To her credit, I mean, yes, of course, where we can, we want high profile people talking about politics and standing up for what is right. But when you're a young musician and this is the stuff that's coming before you, would many people make a different decision? Mm, No, I don't think they would. And it's really interesting
0: going back and watching some interviews that Taylor does in her very early career, say when she's between the ages of 18 and 22, When she's asked about her apoliticalness by TV show hosts, for example, there's one night show host that said, oh, you don't really see it to be your place to talk about politics. And Taylor responded saying, well, I'm just a 21-year-old girl who writes about boys and romance and love songs. I don't want to tell other people what to think. And that received raucous applause. She was applauded for so long for being apolitical. So I imagine it would have been quite the shock to have that sentiment flip Not overnight, but I would say very, very quickly. It was a very quick flick of a switch for us to go, now we want celebrities to tell us what's on their mind.
1: Yeah, and I think it was natural that that happened because the stakes felt so high. Mm. So I understand why the switch was flicked so quickly too. So you can see why people wanted her to speak so much. I wanted her to speak so much. But you can also understand why she felt so conflicted about that. And add that to the fact that very likely Taylor Swift probably didn't want to acknowledge these rumours and these conspiracy theories about her being a quote-unquote secret member of the alt-right because doing that and acknowledging those conspiracy theories exist just gives them a bigger platform. Yeah, absolutely. On top of that, she has said she was not in a good place in her life or career back in In 2016, she told The Guardian, "'I felt completely voiceless. "'I just felt like, oh God, who would want me, honestly?' The Guardian also asked whether she would have otherwise endorsed Hillary Clinton if she felt like she could speak on politics. She said, of course, I just felt completely uh, just useless and maybe even like a hindrance. I was just trying to protect my mental health, not read the news very much, go cast my vote, tell people to vote. I just knew what I could handle and I knew what I couldn't. I was literally about to break for a while.
0: Mm. And it was
1: around this time in November 2016 that Taylor sort of disappeared.
0: She stopped regular posting on social media. She stopped doing press interviews. She avoided public appearances altogether. One artistic pursuit she did go down was she did collaborate with Zayn on I Don't Want to Live Forever, which was on the Fifty Shades of Grey soundtrack, but she didn't put out a new album in the year of 2016, which broke her streak of releasing a new album every two years. And for the majority of 2017, definitely the first half anyway, she was
1: completely quiet. Yeah, we didn't hear much from her at all, which was such a change from 2016, where she was everywhere. The back end of 2017, though, Mish, was a pretty big few months for Taylor Swift. For one, the 27-year-old was preparing to take a man who had allegedly groped her to court, and that one-week trial began on August 7, 2017. It was pretty widely covered, wasn't it, in the press? Yeah,
0: absolutely. And some context for those who can't quite remember... Back in 2013, when Taylor was 23 years old, she alleged that radio personality David Mueller had groped her while she was on tour for the album Red. So this happened before a concert in Denver on June 2nd, 2013, when Taylor was hosting a fan meet and greet. David Mueller attended with his girlfriend and they both posed for a photo standing on either side of Taylor. Now, Taylor accused David of, and I quote, lifting her skirt with his hand and touching her bottom while the photo is being taken.
1: The photo itself is all over the internet. I'm sure so many people listening to this have seen it. And in it, David's hand is positioned pretty far down behind her body. Like it's not around her shoulders. It's not around her waist. It disappears. It definitely disappears around her butt. Now, while she is smiling, She does look kind of uncomfortable and at the time of the incident, she got her security team to kick David out of the venue and she actually also put a lifetime ban on him ever attending her shows in the future. Her team also told the radio station where he worked and two days later they fired him. Now his bosses said that David had breached the morality clause in his contract after determining that he had lied about the incident and changed his story about what had happened. Mm, in 2015, David filed a defamation suit against
0: Taylor Swift for $3 million. He said that he had never touched her inappropriately and lost his job and his reputation because of a false allegation. He said that Taylor must have confused him with someone else, which is strange given we have the photo and his hand is definitely it's near low. her butt.
1: Absolutely. Super low. A month later, Taylor actually responded by filing a countersuit against David for assault For a symbolic $1. Now, Taylor's lawyers wrote that Mueller's newfound claim that he is the wrong guy and therefore his termination from his workplace was unjustified is specious. Ms. Swift knows exactly who committed the assault. It was Mueller. Mm,
0: It's also interesting to note that at this time in history, in 2017, This was before the Me Too movement, groping wasn't being taken very seriously as sexual assault, and media publications like BuzzFeed, even left-leaning media publications, kind of downgraded the severity of this incident and kind of made it a laughing matter. BuzzFeed referred to it in headlines as the,
1: and I quote, butt-grabbing case. I also think that there was a really common misconception that she was pursuing this herself in court, which would have been... So fine and incredible if that's what she wanted to do. But she wasn't the one that was making waves about this. He was suing her. So she was like, well, fine, I'll sue you right back if that's what you're going to do. On August 7, 2017, the trial finally began. David's lawyers argued that no one would be stupid enough to try and grope a major pop star in front of everyone. But if anyone actually did that day, it wasn't him. In court, he added that he jumped into the picture at the last second and may have accidentally jostled Taylor's ribcage. Now, (laughs) kind of two competing narratives going on, saying it wasn't me, it wasn't me, but Perhaps if it wasn't, if you are going to point the finger at me, I could have jostled your ribcage.
0: And also, does he know where a rib cage is? Yeah. I feel like it would have been far smarter to say her waist or something yeah. like her ribcage is nowhere near her butt. Now, Taylor Swift famously testified in court. As the BBC noted, one of the reasons why the case was so significant is because Taylor refused to back down even when the defense questioned the truth of her claims. She said, this is what happened. It happened to me. I know it was him and added, he did not touch my rib. He did not touch my hand. He grabbed my bare ass. When the defense lawyer asked why the photo taken at the time of the alleged incident didn't show the front of her skirt being ruffled, Taylor famously replied, because my ass is located in the back of my body. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she was also later told that her testimony was the most amount of times the word "ass" had ever been said in Colorado federal court. She also hit back against David's complaint that she had cost him his career and reputation. She said, I am being blamed for the unfortunate events of his life that are a product of his decision, not mine. Slate magazine described her testimony as sharp, gutsy, and satisfying, and she won the case. Four months later, David mailed Taylor a $1 coin. Mm,
0: A few days after the trial ended on the 18th of August, Taylor wiped her social media clean. So she unfollowed everyone. She deleted every post. She even scrapped her profile picture. And then three days later, on August 21, she returned with a video of a snake. Two days after that, she announced her sixth studio album called Reputation.
1: So that Sunday on August 28, Taylor dropped her music video for Look What You Made Me Do, and that video premiered at the VMAs, which were being hosted by Katy Perry, of all people. Now, The song was full of many perhaps not so subtle references to the events of 2016. (laughs) Firstly, and majorly, her being called a snake online, criticism of her squad of female friends, Tom Hiddleston wearing that very famous shirt that said, I love (laughs) T.S. There was also one scene in that music video where she was dressed a lot like Katy Perry and whether or not she intended that to be the case, people were naturally going, to make parallels between Taylor Swift and Katy Perry given their long-running feud and given she was definitely, definitely trying to emulate a look of Katy's for sure. I
0: actually disagree. I disagree with you. Watching this back, I don't think she was emulating Katy Perry at all, but I'm totally up. If people want to speculate that that's what she was trying to do, she was trying to do a lot in this video. She was also at one point accused of sitting in a bathtub surrounded by jewelry, making a gun with her hand. Of potentially pointing fingers at Kim
1: Kardashian's Paris robbery, so there are that, lots of things that we could pull on here. That was a stretch, but I think for me, with the Katy Perry lookalike thing, I'm like, you know exactly who you look like, and you know, given the long running feud that people are going to draw parallels, you're not doing anything to quell that speculation. That's fair enough.
0: I do remember the day this came out. This was massive. Was I rem- we were working together, and I remember we watched this together, and I just my brain was filled with so many things. The song broke the record for most YouTube views in 24 hours, it reached over
1: 43.2 million views in a day. Now, while it was commercially successful, it was a pretty polarising song. I'm going to put on the record here that it's not my favourite Taylor Swift song. (laughs) The LA Times praised its musicality and said it was a testament to the strength forged through trial by fire. The Guardian, however, gave the song a rating of two stars, saying it was acid gossip that borrows from better songs. Which is all to say that music's subjective, guys. Exactly. On the 10th of November, she finally released her sixth album, Reputation, Unlike her previous albums, this is really interesting. She didn't promote the album through press interviews at all. She decided she was going to let the music speak for itself. Yeah. And Reputation was super successful. It
0: sold over 4.5 million copies in 2017 and became the world's best selling album by a female artist for that year. I mean, some people might compare this stat, 4.5 million copies in a year to her previous albums that would have sold more copies at large. We need to remember though, this is when streaming is becoming the main way that people listen to music. Yes, we can still look that the copies sold, but it's really only relevant when we compare it to the rest of the industry. And compared to the rest of the industry, Taylor was number one.
1: Yeah, she was killing it. It was wildly different to her other albums. As the New York Times pointed out, it was the first time she actually swore on an album, which was clearly a very deliberate decision from her and her team. It was also the first time she sung about drinking alcohol, and it was also the most explicitly she'd ever talked about sex. She really wanted here to either be the edgy version of Taylor or the more honest version of Taylor, whichever kind of camp you sit in. And as we know, the album sounded really different. The songs were dark and gritty and were a far cry from country or even the kind of bubbly pop that she'd been known for. Mm, I also remember going to this tour,
0: which, by the way, ended up being the highest grossing North American tour of all time. And I went with my sisters and some family friends thinking, She hasn't said anything in the media. Maybe she'll say something to her fans that's like new and interesting. (laughs) It's interesting because it kind of created this FOMO mentality of like if we get something from Taylor, only the fans at the concert will get it. And I remember being really excited. And let me say, out of all of her tours, this was my favourite one despite reputation not being my favourite album. That's not to say that Taylor's reputation was fixed and all better though. She did continue to cop criticism for the things she did even when she didn't necessarily have lots of control over them. At the end of 2017, Time magazine actually named her Person of the Year, sort of. So instead of naming a single Person of the Year in 2017, Time actually dedicated the famous edition to a group they called the Silence Breakers. Now, these were women who had stepped forward to speak about sexual violence, Taylor was recognised for her role in that sexual assault case and
1: how public she made that fight. Yeah, and while her testimony in court was celebrated, some did criticise Time magazine for including her as one of its People of the Year. On the one hand, she is a survivor of assault who successfully countersued her attacker, but many other people did think that she was being centred in a discussion that she'd never been particularly vocal about, whether or not you think that criticism is fair. Mish, we need to take a break, but after we come back, we are going to talk about how Taylor Swift really started to pivot publicly. But first, a word from today's sponsor. All right, Zara, it's time
0: for Taylor Swift's big pivot. We are in October 2018, and this is when Taylor made a huge decision. She decided to officially and emphatically break her silence on politics. So in October, Taylor Swift actually took to Instagram to endorse the Democratic Tennessee candidate, Phil Bredesen, in the November Senate race. Part of her lengthy caption read, In the past, I've been reluctant to publicly endorse my political opinions, but due to several events in my life and in the world in the past two years, I feel very differently about that now. I always have and always will cast my vote based on which candidate will fight and protect for the human rights I believe we all deserve in this country. I believe in the fight for LGBTQ rights and that any form of discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender is wrong. I believe that the systemic racism we see in this country towards people of colour is
1: terrifying, sickening and prevalent. I remember watching her post this in her documentary, and we will talk properly about the documentary when the timeline <laughs> commits and we actually get to the documentary, but I remember watching her feel really nervous, surrounded by a few of her publicists. Mm. And I think her mum was in that scene. Her father as well. It's a really
0: interesting scene to watch. I actually just watched it last week. She's sitting in this room and the majority of people in the room are actually older white men, including her own dad. And she is shaking and crying as she's trying to convince them why she should be able to post this and why it's so important to her. And I think that scene in particular, as a Swift fan, gives you real insight as to what kind of environment she was becoming a pop star in. Because even in 2018, when the mood and the temperature of the room had changed so much, these men were still strongly telling her, don't do this. You could potentially halve your entire fan base. They still didn't get it. Thankfully, she did it anyway. Yeah, and while
1: Bredesen didn't win, Vote.org reported an unprecedented spike in voter registration after she encouraged people to vote on Instagram. Donald Trump wasn't too happy, though. (laughs) He said that he liked Taylor's music about 25% less now. (laughs) Let's fast forward to April 2019 because gone
0: were the snakes, the black lipstick, the hooded cloaks, They were all being replaced with the lover era, which was all full of pastel colors, rainbows, and butterflies. I gotta say, you hated reputation or you didn't like reputation as much. I liked
1: reputation more than I liked lover. Yeah, interesting. I liked lover more than I liked reputation. So on April 26th, she released her upcoming album's first single, It Was Me with Brendan Urie from Panic! at the Disco. And for the first time, her opening single was a tiny bit of a flop by her standards, Mm. I should say. It peaked at number two on the Billboard charts. I love that I just called it a flop. (laughs) It was the first time in nine years, though, that a lead single from her album didn't instantly hit number one. And there's no doubt her team would notice that. Mm. Taylor released her second
0: single, Unique. Need to Calm Down on the 14th of June in the middle of Pride Month. Now this was a single that was supposed to synthesize in potentially a clunky way two completely different things. The first was it was clearly an anthem to Taylor Swift's Haters. The second was it was supposed to be a single about LGBTQIA plus rights and homophobia and the plight of people who might be gay, bisexual, however they identify, to be accepted in American society.
1: Yes, and people thought that because she name-checked the LGBTIQIA plus rights organisation called GLAAD with the lyrics, Why are you mad when you could be glad?" The music video also featured really popular queer stars like Jonathan Van Ness and Adam Lambert. And at the very end of the video, she called for viewers to sign her petition in support of the Equality Act to prohibit gender and sexuality-based discrimination in the US. It also did see a spike in donations for GLAAD. But Taylor was accused of queerbaiting and jumping on a popular issue. And as The Atlantic pointed out, The song appeared to reference Taylor's own life and the hate she had received as a famous person and kind of suggested that this was akin to the discrimination that those in the LGBTQIA plus community have faced. Mm. That was kind of the vibe that a lot of people got from the video, right? Yeah,
0: it was. This is one quote from that Atlantic article. The entire song indeed subsumes queerness into Swift's narratives. Its breathtaking argument is one that famous people are persecuted in a way that's meaningfully comparable to queer people. Like you can understand, I think looking back at the time, I was confused because I was thinking, Well, she's platforming all these incredible gay activists in her music video. So many of them get the opportunity to have access to Taylor's incredible audience. She did do a great job at boosting registrations to that petition in support of the Equality Act. So yes, there were definitely great things done by Taylor Swift with this single However, I can also see how some people, particularly belonging to that community, of which I'm not a member, were watching on going, well, why is a straight woman dominating a conversation that she has never really taken part in or championed until it supports her commercially and she can profit off it?
1: Yeah. And that's exactly right. A lot of this criticism, the majority of this criticism was coming from within the community as well. Even more bizarrely, at the very end of the song, Katy Perry appeared. They were dressed up (laughs) together as French fries and a hamburger. They hugged and they put an end to their public (laughs) feud. As The Atlantic pointed out, this was further proof that the song was not about gay rights, but was primarily narrative management for superstars. Yeah, which brings us to July
0: 2019, when there was another scandal that rocked Taylor Swift's career. This time, it was all about who owned the rights to her masters. Now, if you remember back in episode one, we did signpost this. We said you guys needed to keep it in your mind that when Taylor was 15 years old, she signed with an emerging independent music label called big machine group it was founded by scott borchetta taylor was the first artist to sign with the label and her dad bought a three percent stake in the company now at the end of 2018 taylor's contract with big machine finally ended after 13 years and she was officially free to explore new contracts with other labels she decided instead of re-signing with Big Machine, she was going to move across to
1: a rival at Universal Music Group. Yeah, in a statement, she announced that as part of her contract with Universal, she would own all of the master recordings that she makes from now on, which is, as we know, a huge thing that she values and encourages all young musicians to value. Now, Master recordings are the original recordings of a song. They're not the lyrics or the music, but the actual original recording. Whoever owns the master rights along with whoever owns the copyright of the lyrics and music controls where the recording is licensed. So where and how it's played. They are the ones who earn money for the recordings when they are played. So for example, If we wanted to put Taylor Swift music through this episode, we would have to go to whoever owns the master recordings and ask for permission, get them licensed to the podcast and probably pay $400 million and turn ourselves (laughs) broke. But that is how labels continually make money off artists long after... The music's been recorded and put out into the world yeah and when you stream someone on spotify the
0: majority of that stream money goes into the pocket of whoever owns the master recording now taylor signed away her masters when she signed to big machine records as a teenager so on the 30th of july 2019 some big news hit the music world scott borchetta was selling big machine records to a powerful and very famous man by the name of Scooter Braun. Now, if that name sounds familiar, but you're not quite across who Scooter Braun is, I would say he's best known for being the man who discovered Justin Bieber and managed Justin Bieber's meteoric rise to fame.
1: I would totally agree with that. He has also worked with stars like Ariana Grande and Kanye West. And suddenly, by owning Big Machine Records, he owned the master recordings of Taylor's first six Albums. Now, later that same day, Taylor wrote a pretty long Tumblr post where she described the sale of Big Machine to Scooter Braun as, and I quote, her worst case scenario. She said that Scooter Braun had inflicted incessant manipulative bullying on her for years. And she also shared a photo of Scooter on a FaceTime call with Kanye West and Justin Bieber that Justin Bieber had actually posted to Instagram in 2016 with the caption, Taylor Swift, what up? Taylor wrote, This is Scooter Braun bullying me on social media when I was at my lowest point. He is about to own all the music I've ever made. She called Scooter Braun out for allowing his client Kanye West to create, and I quote, a revenge porn music video which strips my body naked, referring, of course, to the music video for Famous. Mm,
0: Taylor also wrote that, and I quote, anytime Scott Borchetta has heard the words Scooter Braun escape my lips, it was when I was either crying or trying not to. He knew what he was doing, they both... Did controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them. Now, Taylor also revealed that she had spent years under Big Machine trying to get the rights to her master recordings back. She said that Big Machine Records offered her those masters, but only under an earn-back kind of arrangement. So they would give her one set of masters per album back for every new album she wrote under the label. Now, she said that she left Big Machine because she knew that Scott wanted to sell the label, and I quote, thereby
1: selling me and my future. Scott hit back on the same day that she wrote her Tumblr post. He published a post on Big Machine's website called, So It's Time for Some Truth. He said that Taylor Swift could have had control of her masters if she signed a contract and stayed with Big Machine for another several years and included a screenshot of their negotiation document. Now, Taylor Swift doesn't deny that. Mm. She says that to be true. He also said that Taylor wasn't blindsided with the news of the sale. He argued that Taylor's dad, as a shareholder of the company, was across the sale and that he himself had texted Taylor personally about the sale the night before the news broke publicly. The night before isn't like a huge lead-up time, is it? Not only did
0: Scott quite randomly confirm speculation that there was an ongoing feud between Justin Bieber and Taylor in this blog post... He wrote, Was I aware of some prior issues between Taylor and Justin Bieber? Yes. He also threw in jabs like this. Scooter Braun was never anything but positive about Taylor Swift. He called me directly about Manchester to see if Taylor would participate. She declined. He called me directly to see if Taylor wanted to participate in the Parkland March. She declined. Scooter has always been and will continue to be a supporter and honest custodian for Taylor and her music. Let's unpack that last bit. <laughs> I will always be angry that Scott Borchetta brought the Manchester bombing and the Parkland shooting into a statement about Taylor Swift and who owned her music.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think it's completely unrealistic to expect any celebrity to say yes to every charity thing that is ever put in front of them. Yes, I would expect as a consumer that anyone with a public profile would hopefully do a little bit for charity for causes that mean a lot to them, but to expect them to say yes to every single thing is just absurd. And for him to
0: weaponize those examples in this particular moment is basically to say, don't feel any sympathy for Taylor Swift. She doesn't have a heart.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, artists like Justin Bieber, Demi Lovato and Sia actually came out in defense of Scooter Braun, but others like Halsey, Todrick Hall and Iggy Azalea came out in support of Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift's former best friend Carly Kloss very notably didn't weigh in on the matter. She and her husband, actually, had appeared in a photo hanging out with Scooter and his wife just the weekend before all of this drama. And to add to the awkwardness, Carly is also managed by Scooter. Mm, Super messy. Speaking of
0: which, we need to kind of talk about what the hell happened between Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss's infamous friendship. The two of them were very publicly best friends. Like they definitely wanted us to know about that. They repeatedly shared photos on big road trips together. They told the press, of course, that there was a spare room for Carly Kloss at Taylor Swift's New York apartment. They played the best best friends game in a 2015 video with Vogue. Just a few weeks after Kim Kardashian, though, leaked that video about Taylor in 2016, Carly didn't publicly defend her best friend. If anything, in an interview with the Sunday Times Style, she
1: kind of leaned towards Kim Kardashian's side. Yeah, so she was asked whether she thought Kim Kardashian was a good person, which is a funny question from an interviewer. Carly replied, you know, I think she's been a lovely person to me in the past. Look, I don't really know her that well. Carly took to Twitter after this because there was naturally a lot of conjecture about what that even meant. And she said, I will not allow the media to misconstrue my words. Taylor has always had my back and I will always have hers. Mm. I do kind of feel for Carly with that interview because it's like, well, what are you meant to say? You're asked if someone's a nice person and what are you meant to do say no she's a bitch
0: yeah it's a tricky it's, it's one because like lose it's also not your drama you haven't done exactly. anything to find yourself so- in this like turmoil and yet you're about to be plunged into it as soon as you say even remotely the wrong thing but then on the other hand I understand it might have been a slap in the face to Taylor to go well I've always had your back in the industry you give this interview and you don't really say yeah. like I feel sorry for Taylor I don't like the way she acted like there are ways to answer this question without coming for someone's personality. You could say, I don't like the way Kim Kardashian held herself in those moments.
1: I think it's lose lose. I don't know what like work could have mm. been on the line for Carly Kloss. And again, it wasn't her drama to insert herself in. <laughs> you do love your Carly Kloss. Well I'm just kind of like what would anyone else do? Like you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. I think it's lose-lose for anyone who's asked that.
0: It's easy to kind of, with years of hindsight, look back and go, maybe she could have worded it this way. If you're put on the spot and you yes. have five seconds to come up with the perfect answer, how many of us are going to come up with anything
1: even remotely close to perfect? Exactly. But after 2017, they weren't really seen together. Again, that's Carly and Taylor. Little clues started to emerge that they weren't friends anymore. I mean, Carly's name didn't appear on a t-shirt that Taylor Swift wore in the Look What You Made Me Do music video with all her friends names on it. Now, to add to that, in January 2018, which was actually before Taylor Swift had publicly made up with Katy Perry, so sorry for a little bit of funkiness in the timeline, (laughs) but this was before they publicly made up, Carly posted a video of herself with a basketball and captioned it, swish, swish, which people thought was a reference. To Katy Perry's diss track about Taylor Swift. She had to change the caption. Poor
0: Katy Perry did not get enough hype around Swish yeah, Swish compared to the hype that was around Bad Blood. Now, Carly Kloss was also snapped going out to dinner with Katy Perry at the start of 2018, which convinced fans that Taylor and Carly were no longer friends. Of course, we know that everything was smoothed over very soon after between Katy and Taylor. But for Carly to be seen with Katy and not being seen with Taylor, for months really did contribute to the speculation that all was not well. Even Jennifer Lawrence, Hollywood actress Jennifer Lawrence, contributed to the like feverish speculation around whether or not Taylor and Carly were friends anymore. In an interview with the New York Times, she said she was so addicted to researching the friendship that trying to figure out what happened was, and I quote, keeping her up at night.
1: It was a pretty confusing time because while fans were like, are Carly and Taylor friends anymore? they were like, yeah, yeah, we are. Because in March, the New York Times profiled Carly and said that Taylor was one of her closest friends. In August, Carly posted a photo posing with Taylor backstage at her Reputation concert and Carly told Vogue that, don't worry, Taylor and I are still really good friends. But that was kind of it, right? Mm. It didn't look like Taylor was at either of Carly's two weddings in 2018 and 2019, and Perez Hilton, of all people, alleged that Carly had leaked personal information about Taylor Swift to Scooter Braun. BuzzFeed also pointed out that two of Taylor's oldest friends, Ashley and Claire, like Perez Hilton's tweets containing these claims. What do you think about your girl Carly Kloss now? I don't know, because they're both my gals, so I don't know. But that sounds, dare I say,
0: there's something there. If two of your oldest friends are liking those posts, that is enough for me to say, green tick, that story has to be legit. If it wasn't legit, why are those friends liking that post? Because maybe they
1: were told to give it some airtime. Oh my
0: God. Many people do think that Taylor's recent song, It's Time to Go, references the end of her relationship with Carly Kloss. In particular, the lyrics when the words of a sister come back in whispers that prove that she was not, in fact, what she seemed. Not a twin from your dreams. She's a crook who was caught. Who knows who it was about? (laughs)
1: But we know, no, but we know that Taylor Swift built the hype about the guessing game Mm -hmm. around these songs. So she would have known absolutely that people would have thought that this was about Carly Closs. Now, Let's go back to Taylor Swift for a second and let's go back to her albums because on August 23, 2019, she released her seventh album, of course, as we know, and as we said, it's called Lover. And again, the album was, of course, a commercial success. It was the best-selling studio album of the year. The day
0: that Lover was released, Taylor went on Good Morning America and gave them quite the juicy exclusive. On the show, she announced that after November 2020, she would start re-recording all of her existing albums that were owned by Big Machine Records. She said if she couldn't own her original masters, she would record new
1: ones as soon as she was contractually allowed to. She told GMA, I just think that artists deserve to own their work. I just feel very passionately about that. Now, a quick interesting aside that we definitely can't look past here. Taylor has said that she wants her master recordings to be as close to the original as possible, but It's prompted many people to wonder whether she will re-record Better Than Revenge from Speak Now. I mean, to recap, as we mentioned in episode one, Taylor released a song on Speak Now called Better Than Revenge, and the song was rumored to be directed at actress Camilla Bell herself. After Taylor and Joe Jonas broke up, this really feels like a throwback now we're in episode (laughs) three, he started dating Camilla. And in the song, Taylor sang about how another famous woman, quote unquote, took her boyfriend. The lyric was... She's not a saint and she's not what you think. She's an actress, but she's better known for the things she does on The Mattress.
0: Yeah, now publications, particularly feminist publications and commentators, began taking aim at this song and its anti feminist message that a woman could steal a man from another. When Taylor was asked about this song by The Guardian, she replied, I was 18 when I wrote that. That's the age you are when you think someone can actually take your boyfriend. Then you grow up and realize no one can take someone from you. If they don't want to leave. Now, we know that Camilla has never gotten over this. She said it really did impact her career. She was clearly upset about it still in 2016 when she backed up Katy Perry on Twitter, when Katy took aim at Taylor Swift. It will be very interesting to see what Taylor does about Better Than Revenge because lots of fans will want the song. It's a catchy song. I admit it's like really hard to think that we
1: might not get it back. You'll get the song? I I think it'll be revised. It will be revised. The lyrics will be changed and she'll make it about herself, not about Camilla Bell for sure. Mm. Now, one of the best parts about this time in her career was Taylor's emotional vulnerability in interviews. As you remember, she did no interviews during Reputation, so there was a lot of stuff and a lot of time that had passed before Taylor Swift had spoken to the media. In August 2019, in an interview with The Guardian, It felt like she really opened herself up more than I can ever remember in a press interview. Mm. She talked a lot about that period of time where she disappeared from the public eye. And she said, every domino fell. It became really terrifying for anyone to even know where I was. And I felt completely incapable of doing or saying anything publicly at all, even about my music. I always said I wouldn't talk about what was happening personally because that was a personal time. I just need some things that are mine, just some things. Yeah. She also talked about
0: how while she was working on Reputation, she was also writing, and I quote, a think piece a day that I knew I would never publish, the stuff I would say and the different facets of the situation that nobody knew. When the Guardian asked if she would ever release them, she said no, and here's why. Because when people are in a hate frenzy and they find something to mutually hate together, it bonds them. And anything you say is an echo chamber of mockery. You can either stand there and let the wave crash into you, or you can try as hard as you can to fight something that's more powerful and bigger than you. Or you can dive under the water, hold your breath, wait for it to pass, and while you're down there, try to learn something. Why was I in that part of the ocean? There were clearly things that said, riptide, undertow, don't swim. There were no lifeguards. Why was I there? Why was I trusting the people I trusted? Why was I letting people into my life the way I was letting them in? What was
1: I doing that caused this? I think of all quotes from Taylor Swift, that is my favourite. It's definitely my favourite interview that she's done and we will put a link in our show notes if you want to go back and read that after this episode because it's like, she's absolutely right you do need to dive under that wave and kind of hold your breath for it to pass over you. But with her as well, it's like, yes, what are the decisions that I made that Mm. led me here? Because there's no way any Taylor Swift fan can sit here and say she didn't make decisions that also led her to this path too. According to these quotes, Taylor Swift also really didn't see her downfall coming at all. She said, I didn't realize it was a classic overthrow of someone in power where you didn't realize the whispers behind your back. You didn't realize the chain reaction of events that was going to make everything fall apart at the exact perfect time for it to fall apart. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is her best interview to date.
0: And I think partially I love it because she was so self-aware, which is something we hadn't always seen from Taylor in the past. She spoke to The Guardian about her response to Nicki Minaj's tweets that we covered in episode two, and she said that she had learned a lot, most notably about white privilege. She said, My privilege allowed me to not have to learn about white privilege. I didn't know about it as a kid, and that is privilege itself, you know? And that's something that I'm still trying to educate myself on every day. How can I see where people are coming from and understand
1: the pain that comes with the history of our world? Another notable interview that Taylor Swift did during this period was with Rolling Stone in September 2019, where she said, I felt like I was walking along the sidewalk knowing eventually the pavement was going to crumble and I was going to fall through. She also seemed to say that some of the downfall or her reputation's downfall was inevitable because people just won't love you forever. Mm. She said, you can't keep winning and have people like it. People love you so much. They raise you up the flagpole and you're waving at the top of the flagpole for a while and then they're like, wait, this new flag is what we actually love. They decide something you're doing is incorrect, that you're not standing for what you should stand for. You're a bad example. Mm.
0: Now, another one of her lessons that Taylor clearly put into her arsenal from that horrid 2016 was about romantic relationships. For the first time in her life, she was having a romantic relationship in private. At the time that she gave those quotes to Rolling Stone and The Guardian, she had been with her boyfriend, Joe Alwyn, the actor, for quite some time, but had chosen not to speak about him, which was
1: definitely a deviation away from the Taylor Swift we once knew. Yeah, she said, I've learned that if I do, people think it's up for discussion and our relationship isn't up for discussion. That's where the boundary is and that's where my life has become manageable and I really want to keep it feeling manageable. As an outsider, it feels like the smartest decision she could make Because it really does feel like people don't know enough about her and Joe to speak about her and Joe. It's also
0: by far her longest relationship. They've been together for five years now. That is like five times the length of any relationship that came before it. So it's clearly been an ingredient for success. Also around this time in 2020 now, when Taylor released her Netflix documentary called Miss Americana, We saw sides to Taylor Swift that we had never seen any glimpse of before she kind of had to rebuild her entire reputation. Now, in Miss Americana, we learned that Taylor Swift had been struggling with disordered eating for a big chunk of her professional career.
1: Yeah, she said in this documentary, it's not good for me to see pictures of myself every day because I have a tendency to get triggered by something. She also admitted that there had been times where she'd seen a picture of herself where, and I quote, I feel like I looked like my tummy was too big or someone said that I looked pregnant and that'll just trigger me to just starve a little bit. Just stop eating. Yeah. She also went on to say, I thought I was just supposed to feel like I was going to pass out at the end of a show or in the middle of it. Here's another snippet from that documentary with Taylor.
0: I would have defended it to anyone who said I'm concerned about you I was like what are you talking about of course I eat it's perfectly normal I just exercise a lot and I did exercise a lot but I wasn't eating
1: you don't ever say to yourself like I've got an eating disorder but you know you're like making a list of everything you put in your mouth that day and you know that's probably not right but then again there's so many diet blogs that tell you that 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 that's what you should do
0: Really, really interesting because I remember seeing how slim Taylor was growing up and thinking, oh, well, that's just the way her body is. But I think when you look at the footage of her in that documentary and the way her body should be when she's eating healthily and the way she was presenting to the world for so many years, you realise how significant this was for her.
1: Hugely significant. She later told Variety how one tabloid magazine headline actually had a huge effect on her. She said, I remember how when I was 18, that was the first time I was on the cover of magazine. And the headline was like, pregnant at 18. And it was because I had worn something that made my lower stomach look not flat. So I just registered that as a punishment. And then I'd walk into a photo shoot and be in the dressing room. And someone who worked in a magazine would say, oh, wow, this is so amazing that you can fit into the sample sizes. Usually we have to make alterations to the dresses, but we can take them right off the runway and put them on you. And I looked at that as a pat on the head. You register that enough times and you just start to accommodate everything towards praise and punishment, including your own body.
0: I wonder what you think about this, but for me, this felt like the most candid Taylor we had met yet. And I think a lot of women were finding her endearing and interesting and compelling again because we felt like we weren't getting the perfect goody two-shoes show. We were getting
1: Taylor warts and all. It's really interesting because I think for Taylor Swift, and she said it on the record in the past, the more you give, the more people will poke and pry. But I think the truth of it is when you share parts of yourself that are hard to share and you give people context on why you make decisions and why you are how you are, I think generally your most staunch fans will have a lot of compassion for that and a lot of understanding about that. And I really do think with this documentary, even though there's commentary about how meticulous it was edited and how well it portrayed Taylor, it really did mark the start for me at least in my opinion of her re-rise because you start to understand a lot of the happenings behind the scene. I don't even care if they were accurate or not. I was like, this seems believable to me and therefore I'm going to take it as the truth. Yeah, I also think vulnerability bred empathy
0: and that was so important for her. Now, this all brings us to the new, refined, modern and mature Taylor Swift, the one that focuses on her work and her music and not as much on the scandals that have historically surrounded those things. In 2020, when the world was stuck in lockdown, Taylor kind of became our musical hero. She shocked the world by releasing not one but two surprise albums, Folklore and Evermore. There was no lead up, no breadcrumbing, no PR. There was just Taylor Swift's storytelling, her lyrics, her beautiful voice and a whole lot of adoration for an artist that has defined music for the last decade.
1: Totally. The PR was entirely centered on the quality of the music, not the star power behind it. Folklore in particular was widely praised. Rolling Stone gave it a four and a half out of five stars and said it was, and I quote, the deepest collection of songs she's ever come up with. One Guardian reviewer gave it five stars and said that the album was proof that Taylor's music can thrive without the celebrity drama. Mm. Now, while Reputation and Lover had both been nominated for Best Pop Vocal Album at the Grammys, they had missed out on awards like Album of the Year. That was an award that she'd won with 1989 and Fearless in the Past. Folklore felt very much like her musical redemption. Not only was it nominated for Album of the Year, it won that award and Evermore is nominated for Album of the Year at this year's Grammys. Yeah, 2021 has also seen the release
0: of two of Taylor's master re recordings, Fearless and Red both came out as Taylor's versions. Going back to something we discussed in episode one, we really have seen in 2021 just how clever a businesswoman Taylor Swift really is and how well she understands and can leverage her fandom. I mean, in addition to her re recordings she also released songs that were written at the same time as these albums that were held in an archive that she is re-released and have just shot to the top of the charts. I mean, her 10-minute version of All Too Well became the number one streamed song globally on Spotify's charts. She also did a collaboration with Phoebe Bridges and released a new single called I Bet You
1: Think About Me. As The Atlantic wrote, Taylor continues to push herself to new places. She doubles down on the things that make her beloved. I think that's so bang on. I think she's kind of got that perfect line between... A little bit of celebrity juice with like the Jake Gyllenhaal stuff around all too well, but nothing that goes particularly overboard and nothing that she particularly sort of takes part in commentary Mm. wise. But now she's in this space where she really can let the music speak for itself and the way that she builds hype and the way that she builds publicity is through little clues Mm. with her fans and with little games with her fans and she doesn't need to do a big hoo-ha show in other (laughs) other elements of her celebrity life in order to get those headlines. What have you learned about Taylor Swift doing this series? I have learned that 2016 was far more of a car crash than I remember Mm. and that she will likely never find herself in a position like that again because the decisions that her team made around publicity and not going to ground were ones that really cost her. And I think if anything comes out again and she finds herself in the centre of a storm again, I think she'll be able to get out of it much faster than she ever did before. What mm. about you?
0: I have learned that I think Taylor Swift was pretty immature for her age. She makes this comment in Miss Americana that you stop growing up at the age that you become famous and that was true for her and she used 2016 and 2017 to catch up because she was so immature. I think she was really young for her age. I think that is why she found herself in a lot of the scandals that she did. I think she was rewarded for so long by so many people for playing the part of the good girl. And I'm glad that she kind of shook those shackles and kind of freed herself from the good girl persona because I think the Taylor Swift we see in 2022 is a far more candid, honest, lovable Taylor Swift because she has allowed herself to be vulnerable, I think. It's a fascinating story and a fascinating life and to
1: think she's only in her 30s is pretty terrifying. I would love, like, a long movie or maybe just a long TV show about her life. I love we've got Miss Americana. We're like, we need another one. But I would (laughs) love it all to be acted out in stages. But imagine a TV show that went through all the drama. I don't know who would play (laughs) her. I want it. Anyway, I'll put it to the universe. Guys, that is all we've got time for. This has been a big bumper three-part series for summer and I couldn't have loved doing it more thank you so much as always to our researcher Justine Landers-Hanley for doing the bulk of the research the bloody pages after pages (laughs) after pages of research for this we are very appreciative yeah guys
0: thank you so much for listening of course come over to our Instagram at shameless podcast to see our throwback galleries Go to our TikTok at shameless underscore podcast to watch snippets that we do in different episode recordings or to see different TikToks we make about pop culture. And then just have a good day. Be safe. Enjoy the summer holidays. Yeah. Thanks so much, guys.
1: Thanks soon. Bye.